Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bare Minimum Babe. So for some context, I started writing notes for this episode sitting at my daughter's softball game on a legal pad that I pulled out of my book bag. So I had a bunch of 10-year-olds shouting random cheers as I was writing kind of the beginnings of these thoughts that made me realize that outside uh, outside validation is really important, um, especially for things that we are actively just starting and working on and just kind of figuring out the ropes and kind of unsure of our place. So seeking validation, in my opinion, is not something we should shame others for. And I don't really think we should shame others for most things. Like I'm sure you've heard of Brene Brown at this point, her whole thing is shame and she's great. Um, But shaming doesn't really work or we shouldn't lecture them to not seek outside validation because Internal validation should be enough and it should be your driving force. You should want to do a good job for you and you shouldn't have to like listen to other people's thoughts of you and blah, blah, blah. So I'm saying that's rubbish. It's natural to seek outside validation and a simple statement or words of encouragement or just any type of motion that essentially boils down to I see you from another person can be really pivotal when you're struggling at the beginning, especially, or and even just in general. Um, like we're social creatures and this is how we stayed alive and how we function in society even today, despite it being kind of the cool thing to say now that we don't care what others think. That just simply is not true. So today's episode is about seeking the outside validation and how that comes into play with our lives and then how we can use this uh, international universal need and others to lift them up in deeper and more meaningful ways. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. So as I was writing this, like I said, I was at my daughter's softball game and I checked my phone because I saw a notification and honestly, I was a little bored. A 10 year old softball game is a little slow. Um, But anyways, I saw I had a new follower on the Bare Minimum Babe Instagram, which I was excited about. And I instantly clicked on because as of this episode recording, I currently only have 28 Instagram followers because it's brand new. And so... Every follow is super noticed and appreciated, hint, hint, wink, wink. Um, And I was blown away when I realized who the follow was from. It was from an amazing businesswoman and author from Australia, a woman named Denise Duffield-Thomas. And I spoke about her in the previous episode, um, Being a Contributor versus the Guru, It's Okay Not to Be the Person, episode eight. So you can listen to that there. And I kind of hype her up. And I talk about her book, Chillpreneur, and the lesson I learned from it and kind of explaining the concept and what I gathered from it. So in my social post on Instagram, I decided that I would tag her to promote the episode because I was directly referencing her in the audio clip that I posted that was being played. And so I wanted to make sure she got credit and I didn't at all plan for her to see it or literally expect her to see it. And if she did see it and like, be like, okay, cool. Because she's busy and like, she, you know, whatever. Right. Um, she saw it and she commented on it and she said that she loved the way I explained the concept and she followed me. So I feel like I'm not like super, I feel like I'm underselling how excited I was in that moment. It wasn't like a popping champagne, like, oh my God, shouting from the rooftops, exciting. It was like a mellow, like, wow, that's really cool. Like, I feel really happy with myself and like generally happy, like excited, that type of feeling. And also I don't want to sound like a stalker and keep tagging her. And then she unfollows me and you know, that whole weird where I just being weird. But anyways, this follow and comment, I, it was so validating for me, this generally this podcast and general self-help and coaching, advising, women hype up thing, encompassing thing that I'm doing with Bare Minimum Babe has been an idea that's been rattling around very skeptically in my mind for 
I don't know, quite a while. Like I wouldn't say like decades, but like, you know, like a little while, but I kept thinking it would be, I don't know, pretentious. I didn't know what I was talking about. And like people would make fun of me for doing it. And like, what is she talking about? She has no idea. And overall, just generally embarrassing and a waste of time because nothing would come of it. So it would be a waste of time. So what's the point of doing it and just looking dumb? And just for context, I don't, I just, in case anyone else feels this way too, my biggest embarrassments have to do when I feel stupid and people kind of question my intelligent intelligence or judgment, not even just intelligence, but like my judgment on things. I don't fully know exactly why this is other than I've generally been labeled smart for most of my life. So that's how I identify myself. So when that comes into question, it upsets me. Um, so the idea that I would come off as not knowing what I was talking about and stupid with this podcast, like was kind of a hurdle, like a big, like ego, of like get over yourself to go, you know, to get over and just start. And finally I said, you know, screw it after a couple conversations with my friends. And I mentioned that conversation and those thoughts in the very first episode of Bare Minimum Babe, if you want to go back and listen to it. And then the realization that I really feel most useful and happy when I when I say happy, I feel, I feel like more like content and like useful. Like I have a purpose. Um, when I help someone through a problem in some way. And so I, you know, I thought like, screw it. I can always quit. If I don't like it, what's the worst that can happen? I spend time on something. It turns out I don't want it. Like no biggie, just tried something new, I guess. So anyways, the fact that two months, so eight episodes into this podcast later, a woman that I really admire and have used her books to help me. And then I also shared on the podcast to kind of help other people. She saw a social post and thought highly enough to comment and follow is a real cool thing and really validation for me. And, you know, who knows she might unfollow, but it doesn't matter <laughs> in that moment of checking my phone. And even now of recording and she's still following me. And I don't know. I was just super excited. I shared it on all my stories and I shared it with my husband and he was like, Oh my God, that's really cool. And like, how do you feel? You know, well, I was just super hype. And so I just wanted to go into why I might've been so hype and that outside validation of why that was so important. So as I was sitting there at her game, I was like asking myself, why am I so excited and proud of this follow? Like, why am I sharing it and so excited other than it's just a successful person following my page. And, you know, now it's like a little bit a social proof and like I read her book. So that's kind of cool. I was like, why am I feeling so like smug isn't the correct word. It's, it, it was like an internal sense of like, like relief or something. I can't quite figure out a word to describe it. But I realized I was, I was feeling that kind of contentment and excitement because I felt that internal sense of accomplishment because I, in that moment felt seen and heard with what I was trying to do. And my daughter reminds me in a joking way sometimes when I don't remember what context this comes up, but she'll randomly say, well, we're all somebody's kid. And, and I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. But like, it is true. So like 10 year old sassy jokes aside, we're all just grown up children, duh, Amanda. And we crave validation, whether that's cool to admit or not. So we still have those feelings that children do of craving approval and attention and assurance that we're doing okay from people we love and or admire. So like my daughter wanting to do a good job at school and coming home excitedly, showing me a project she worked on and wanting me to say, good job. I see it. Or even if I don't say good job, I just say, Oh, that's cool. And acknowledge that she did it. We still seek that as adults. We just maybe don't admit it. So I think acknowledging this 
craving for approval and attention and assurance and whatever you want to call it and not fighting against that is important because this craving doesn't just go away just because you deny it or fight against it. If anything, this craving to be acknowledged just internalizes itself more deeply and kind of, I think, in more negative ways. So you're seeking validation from anything and anyone because you haven't admitted to yourself exactly what it is you're seeking validation on and for what purpose and from whom. So when you don't acknowledge it, I think it just, then it becomes a problem. But when you do acknowledge it, it, it's not a problem and you can, I think, more use it to your benefit or at least see that you're craving it. So when someone is trying something new and they don't know what they're doing and they're trying something out of their comfort zone, like me with this podcast, it's kind of a vulnerable spot to be in because you want to share it because you want to show your work with people, but like you feel kind of stupid because you don't know what you're doing. And it's like maybe a new thing that you're trying, like a new version, maybe not even a new version of yourself, but something that isn't typically a role or a, a something that's a sign, like attributed to you, like something that people wouldn't think of when they think of you. And so it's a vulnerable thought to be in because you're putting something new out there for people to kind of consider you in a new light. And that light's scary because the motivation to try that new thing might've initially come from within, but when you see yourself and your skill and how far you have to go to be where you want to be in that new thing, the internal validation can only take you so far and keep you positive and forward moving. Like for example, this podcast, this is the ninth episode as you're listening to it. I've only been doing it two months. Like if someone came along and was like, this sucks, like I'm not going to listen. I've already like built myself up that it's not going to bother me too much. Like I'm going to keep going because I know it takes a while for pretty much anything to get movement, but it would stay in the back of my mind that they said that and it would make me doubt myself. And so every time I was struggling to come up with an idea, I would have that person in the back of my mind telling me I suck. And so when a person that you respect or love or any positive emotion gives you a kind word or indication that you're doing well, that can be a little burst of motivation that lasts for, I don't know, a few months, you know, maybe you're struggling in it. You, you hear that and you're like, yep. And it pushes you right back on the trail. Like where you're like, slowly slowing, you're like, you're slowing down and you're like losing momentum and someone says something and you're just like, okay, yeah, I got this. And you can like drudge along a little bit more, a little bit further, like that kind word or action lets you know that you're at least facing the right direction. If you're not on the correct path yet, you're at least in the general direction that would be good for you. And you don't feel as unsure or vulnerable anymore in that new position. I've recently been taking a watercoloring class to try something new as a creative outlet outside of music, just because music I've been putting pressure on to make me money. And it's just, it's kind of, it's a job now. And so I just wanted a new creative outlet that didn't have any pressure to it and I could just do for fun. So in this class, about 50% of the students are not good and they're just starting out. And when I say not good, it means like they just clearly just haven't done it before. And so they don't know how to like probably draw. They don't really know how to mix colors, like literally everything. They just don't know what they're doing. Um, and then 25% of them are decent. Like there are some like decent foundations, but they're not great like me. So I'm not great at all, but I'm not God awful. Like if I draw a horse, you can tell it's a horse. That horse is looking real rough, but you can tell it's a horse at least. And 25% of the students are, are pretty good. Like one of them is like really good. And she's been doing it for a little while and she knows how to 
proportions, like all the stuff, right? Like she's not like masterpiece level, but she's pretty good. And so there's a big difference between those just starting out and that person, for example. But my point is, regardless of the person's skill or level or whatever their painting looks like, the teacher of the class will come around kind of like elementary school. She'll come around the tables and like come up to each person and she'll start out by like being like, oh, wow. And she'll say like really positive things about the painting that you can see are not good, which actually used to irritate me when she first started doing it. Cause I was like, is she mocking me? Like this looks like trash. What is she? This clearly does not look good. But now I obviously get what she's doing to keep us motivated to keep painting. And clearly we don't know what we're doing. Like we're taking a class to learn how to do it. She always like comments on the positive aspects, um, just to kind of keep us like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I love the colors of this. I love it. You know? And then that once she does that, she'll help us improve by then saying something like, I can see you were probably trying to do X and might've had a little problem with Y and you like nod. And she continues smiling because she's like a really sweet person. And then she kind of commiserates with you by saying like, yeah, that's totally normal. It takes a little time to get, I still honestly struggle with that. So what helps me is, and then she'll go into like really sweetly, like go into like what she does and kind of help you like walk you through it for a quick second. But like, she never does it for you. And she never says, this is the way to fix this, you should do it this way. She only goes into a solution that she uses that you can try out too. Like, it's just a, you can try this. It might not work for you. No worries. And like, she never says, like, she never comes around and she's like, yeah, I see you didn't do a good job with this. Here's how to prevent it. I feel like there's a different tone there. Obviously she probably wouldn't say it with that vocal tone, but there's in the wording and the phrasing of that is different. Like she clearly there's a different way to come at it of pointing out like, yes, someone failed. Here's a solution to prevent it versus I can see what you were trying to do. It looks like you had a problem with this. That makes sense. How I solve this problem is sometimes I do this. Would you be interested in trying this? It's just a different flip of perspective and how they're helping you. So it also is a way to like, let somebody know that you see and acknowledge what they're trying to do. And you understand that you just, she understands that you just didn't know how to do it, regardless if you saw it in a book or a YouTube video or whatever. She knows that, you know, like a good teacher knows that someone still needs someone there to guide them when they're actually in the act of doing that. So, you know, better next time and her gentle words and smile, you know, kind of guiding you down the path a little further, always saying essentially like, I see you and here's a little help to get you on your way quicker. This type of instruction and teaching that I'm talking about with my watercoloring teacher is essentially just good teaching, good leadership, good coaching. It's making someone feel seen and heard and guiding them to where they want to be or where they think they want to be. Like they don't lecture by shoving a map on their face and getting annoyed that they can't read the map legend because they already explained it when, when you know, when they read it to them a couple times and still not getting it, but instead saying like, you know, hey, you want to go down this path? Cool. Here's a couple of shortcuts I found helpful, but I know it's hard. So like, let me know how I can help you. And of, of course, my shortcuts are just guide as well. Maybe you make your own shortcuts, but here's what I know helps me and what I know helps other people. And so it still enables them to ask for help, receive the help, and then still make their own way. So it's encouraging someone on the path, but helping them with tips and tricks to make the path easier and get to the destination quicker. You never just say like, you suck at this path, you should just give up or like, here's the answer to the path, do it this way, period. You know, 
you started down a certain path because you thought you'd want a certain destination. Here's how I can help you the best way I can reach that destination, but make it your own essentially. And this made me think of that. Like I've heard it a bunch of times. I'm going to say often quoted Ira Glass quote. If you don't, if you haven't heard of Ira Glass, Ira Glass is an American um, radio personality. He's the host and producer of a, a bunch of different NPR programs, including This American Life. But anyways, I really like his quote. So I'm just going to read it verbatim now because I think it's important to hear all the time, especially for someone trying something new, even if it's not quote unquote creative work, like what he's referring to here. I think it's just if someone's trying something new, period, I think it can apply to literally anything. So I'm going to start the quote now. Nobody tells this to people who are beginners. I wish someone told me. All of us who do creative work, we get into it because we have good taste. But there is this gap. For the first couple of years, you make stuff. It's just not that good. It's trying to be good. It has potential, but it's not. But your taste, the thing that got you into the game, is still killer. And your taste is why your work disappoints you. A lot of people never get past this phase. They quit. We know our work doesn't have this special thing that we want it to have. We all go through this, and if you were just starting out or you were still in this phase, you got to know it's normal, and the most important thing you can do is a lot of work. It is only by going through a volume of work that you will close the gap and that your work will be as good as your ambitions. It's normal to take a while, and you've just got to fight your way through. Essentially, the gap between your ambitions and the level of mastery that others have that inspired you to start something new versus the skill level that you currently have when you first start something is huge. And you can see that there's an obvious gap because you have the taste to see that what you're doing is not good. And you can't really seem to fathom bridging that gap and how long it will take and like, how are you going to get there? And it takes a long time and it takes so long that you might, that you probably worry it's never going to happen. Like you'll never be as good as what inspired you to get started. But the quote that I just read from Ira Glass that again is often quoted, so you probably have heard it before He's saying that this is normal and that everybody goes through this. And during this time, especially, I think there is, that's where outside validation comes into play. When you see that gap and others see that gap, but they still believe you can bridge it and any kind word or like random validation, like, you know, like an Instagram follow from a person you admire can be a little stone helping you to build that bridge because it boosted your morale to let you know that you're on the right path or at least facing the direction, the right direction. And that gap is normal and it's easy to default into being hard on yourself and pointing out everything that's going wrong because there's so much probably going quote unquote wrong because you know what you're doing. And if you're still learning how to fix it, then how would you know what's wrong until you did the thing yourself and learned, oh, that's wrong. And then from that, you learned how to fix it. So poor outside or negative outside feedback during this gap period could just add another stone to your back that you now have to carry because you're just ruminating on past errors and doubting yourself completely because you already had the doubts because of that gap. And now other people are voicing their doubt to you. I would say just give your space, give yourself space to, and compassion to learn new things, practice being kind to yourself. And I'm saying this to me too, like this is pretty much just me talking to me right now and hyping myself up and giving myself a talk. But practice being kind to yourself. You're trying something new. You're learning new things. You you literally don't know what you don't know. You think it'll involve X, Y, Z, but you get in there and you realize like, oh, it involves the entire al- alphabet. And I don't know A through, I don't know, F. You know, I had no idea that was even a thing. So I have to go back and even learn what A is, you know? And 
just, you know, would you say the mean things you're saying to yourself to a child? I know that's like kind of all over social and like the Pinterest boards and stuff like that. But if I like try to, it's true. If I imagine myself saying the things to my daughter that I say to myself aloud or in my head, whatever it is, I can't imagine myself. I can't even imagine myself saying it because I would never, I would never say those things to her because why would I do that? She's definitely going to end up in therapy. <laughs> I mean, she might already, but like, I don't want to add more fuel to the fire. You know, I don't want it to be on a list of her issues, a list of grievances. So like, unless you're a Disney villain, I assume you wouldn't say the things that you're probably thinking about yourself or the things you're creating or doing or whatever, when you're learning something new. So you wouldn't do that because you know, the importance of encouraging a child to learn something new and how easily harsh words stick with somebody because they probably stuck with you. And so why would you picture, why would you say it to yourself, regardless of what age you are, you understand, like, if someone's learning something new, you don't just like, say they're stupid or like, because they didn't know this thing that was involved. Like, you know what I mean? It just doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. How could you possibly know what you're doing if you never, never tried it before? Watching how-to videos and reading books and taking classes on like theory and stuff like that is very different than the actual art of doing whatever it is you're doing. You can watch so many videos and read blogs and watch people do a proper pull-up, for example, but when you go to the gym or whatever, your doorframe, whatever, to try to do a pull-up and you can't do it because you haven't ever tried to do one in your life. So you don't have the form, you don't know what you're supposed to be doing and you don't have the strength to do it. Would it make sense for you to be mad at yourself and call yourself weak? Like not really, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. It makes sense to look up, execute the techniques and the exercises that help build your form and give you the strength to build your muscles up to be able to do one. It's really just learning and then teaching yourself what you don't know, essentially, and then realizing you just didn't know. So why would you be hard on yourself for not knowing something you didn't even need to know it before? Why would you have known that? It's become cool to not care what others think. And I don't know when exactly if this has always been a thing to just say this and feel, try to try to feel this, or if it's like recently, I don't honestly know. Um, I did do like the quick research on like the study of, you know, like perception, like if you care about perceptions of others type of thing. Um, but like an example, like Mark Manson's, um, the subtle art of not giving an F, uh, I'm trying not to curse on this podcast because I don't want to list it as explicit, but I do curse like a sailor in real life. So it's a little difficult, but anyways, his book, for example, and other media and pop culture has kind of made it cool to act like we don't care and be very like blatant with the fact that we're trying not to care instead of it just being like a quiet thing that we say to ourselves kind of thing. So although I will say Manson's book and views are more of a way to be less stressed by the need for this validation and and more just kind of putting the cares where you want to put the caring. It's not just like a screw everything. I do have it on my bookshelf and I do remember reading it and liking it enough to keep her reread. So I would say like it's doing well for a reason. But anyways, it's become cool to say, essentially, I don't care what others think about me, period, from literally anything from what we say, the music we listen to, the stuff that whatever comes out of our mouths, how we live our lives, etc. But this is really just a defense mechanism from what I found, especially in my own case too, to in most cases, we say it preemptively as a form of you can't hurt me because I don't care what you think or it's another thing where like you show something to somebody and you say like, here's this, but I can, I know that it's this, 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 and I know that I didn't do a good job here. It's really just saying like, I already know all that's wrong with it. So you can't tell me anything that can hurt me because I already know it sucks. It's another form of that. So by saying, I don't care what others think, you're just kind of saying you can't hurt me because I don't care what you think. But like this, this simply isn't true. Like we know this isn't true. 
we're social creatures. And for millennial, millennial like years, it was imperative that we did care very much. It was imperative to our survival, what others thought and that we fit into social dynamics because we can survive on our own, which is why, you know, for example, there's herds of animals and not just animals off doing their own entrepreneurial thing. Like there's herds of animals that like protect each other because there's, you need the herd to survive from predators and then also to get food and stuff, you know? So we say we don't care. And to an extent that might be true, but like, it's also used as an excuse if you didn't execute on something well, right. You know, like how I gave the previous example or, you know, like I know as a, especially as teens, I feel like there, I heard this a lot in like school. I probably even did this too, but you might've been, you might've said, you know, you got a test back and didn't do that well. So you said, well, I didn't really try. So it's whatever, you know, you say that because you don't, then have to take responsibility for not doing a good job. Like you don't have to take responsibility for that failure. If you admitted, if you did try and you admitted that you tried really hard and cared and still didn't do a good job, that's, that's just embarrassing for you, right? Like that's just embarrassing. And it, it might take social status away from you because then you're viewed as not being super smart or super great or strong, whatever, right? Like versus if you say you didn't try because you didn't care, then you can't look stupid because you didn't try. So it's not an accurate judgment of what you're capable of, right? So it kind of takes away responsibility and actual commitment to something, even though you probably do care. You know, we say we don't care because we do care. We want to preemptively say, hey, you can't hurt me with what you think because I already, I don't, I don't care what you think. But the fact that you're saying this before you, they even maybe even got a chance to say or do anything shows that you're already thinking about it and you're already putting up protections against anything they might say or do because you know that it can and will impact you in some negative way. Like you'll think about yourself negatively and then it'll just create a reinforcing cycle where it just kind of keeps going. You do things wrong. Someone says you do a wrong job because you admit that you messed up. And then it's just like the cycle where you can't ever feel good about something. So this attitude of not caring kind of just deludes you into thinking you really don't care. And then you become confused. <laughs> I know this, like, I feel like this, I'm saying you, I'm like, Amanda, this is you. This used to be you. Um, and then I became confused, for example, when like, I would get upset by someone's like words or actions or whatever and be like, if I, I don't care. But like, I'm still thinking about this. Like, I'm still thinking about what they said or did. Like, why am I still thinking about this? I said I didn't care. And I really think I don't care. But why am I still thinking about it? Obviously, I, I cared in some respect. Like, obviously I'm still thinking about it. Otherwise I would just file it away and like not think about it ever again. So in this instance, I feel like once again, accepting that you, that you do care about something because it's in our genes to care because that's what we had to do to survive, acknowledging it and accepting it will prevent us from confusing ourselves and then placing too much stake in the quote unquote wrong opinions. When you acknowledge that you care, you can figure out then who second step is you can figure out whose opinions you should care about. And by should, I mean, it's really whatever you place value on, but you know, like for example, is it, do you want to place value in someone who you greatly admire, who's achieved the difficult things you're working through right now? Like if they say something to you, how much will that impact you versus your, I don't know, your great aunt who has never tried what you're trying and they only know what she sees on TV, you know, like you should try out for the voice or they just did this. And you, I get that all the time. Like you should try out for the voice. Like you have no idea what the voice is like. It, it, that's not how this works, you know? So who's a more accurate representation of what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish, emulate, whatever, like you can still respect your aunt, but does it make a ton of sense for you to listen to her thoughts and views and advice on something she knows literally nothing about? 
No. Like, no, it doesn't. Right. And when you lay it out like that, it, it, you're like, duh, obviously, but it's much more subversive than that. Especially if you don't acknowledge and accept this and kind of put that, take that second step to be like, okay, I see this. Who's, who, who am I taking value in then? So admitting that you care what others think, it's, it's not uncool. I don't think personally, because once you admit it, you can, like I said, take that second step to prioritize how much value you place in certain people's opinions and distinguish whose opinions actually matter. Because if we're being honest, everyone has an opinion, but not everyone's opinions matters. Like everyone has the right to say something, but like what's coming out of their mouth could be total trash. And it might not be trash to them or other people, but to you, it might not fit you at all. And it might be anti-helpful. So in like, for example, in the instance that I gave about the aunt that doesn't know anything, you could, again, another example, but say to your aunt in this hypothetical situation, when she tries to dissuade you from doing something new, of like, I don't know how that's going to work out for you, honey, you know, whatever. You can be like, thank you so much auntie, I appreciate your thoughts and what you think is helpful on this, but with all due respect, you don't really know what it is I'm trying to do. And so it doesn't really make sense for me to solicit your feedback and take into your thoughts when all it does is make me doubt myself. So I'm going to continue down this path and look to my mentors who have done this for their thoughts and advice. You know, it can be as simple. You don't even have to say that aloud to her, but you can say it mentally to yourself, say that to yourself mentally And then whenever auntie says something that you're just like, that doesn't make any sense. You can just be like, okay, cool, auntie, period. You know, you don't have to feel any type of way about it because it doesn't impact you anymore because you recognize she might be trying to be helpful, but she's not at all, you know? So, so yeah, just take that into consideration, kind of prioritize who your, whose opinion matters because everyone's got them, but they're not always valid. They're valid to them, but they're not valid to your experience and what you're trying to do. I feel like I got a little heated there. I got very excited when I was reading my notes and like riffing off of them. So I'm going to wrap up and I'm calm now. I want to say thank you so much for having me in your ears for another episode of Bare Minimum Babe. And if you enjoyed this episode, you found it helpful, whatever positive feelings you might have had, I would have really appreciated it if you shared it with a friend, your mom, your male lady. I don't care as long as you share it with somebody and they, they also like it, hopefully. Like I said, this podcast is pretty new and it would mean a lot to me if you helped me help me grow this and just help other women feel good about themselves, you know? So I hope you have an amazing day or at least pretty decent. My husband made the joke one day and I think it's very true. It's very funny. And he was like, I, you're going to love this, Amanda. I thought of this today. And I, I thought of you instantly because this is so you. He said, you can't live every day to the fullest, which is funny, but it's true. You can't fall out every day. You can't live every day to the fullest. That's a little, little much. Like you can have a pretty decent day. Usually, you know, some of them are amazing and most of the time they're, you know, pretty decent. Right. So anyways, I hope you have a pretty decent day at the very least, if not an amazing day. Um, and just generally just try to be kind to yourself as best you can. If you're trying, especially if you're trying something new and feeling stupid, like or vulnerable and embarrassed. Um, like literally as I'm reading this and like my reading my notes right now and recording this, I feel stupid because I'm like talking to a microphone in a room by myself with my cat snoring on the couch. And like I said, only like 28 Instagram followers. So this is kind of vulnerable for me. So anyways, be kind to yourself. Like I'm telling myself to this now, just be kind to yourself and at least try and catch yourself speaking mean words. And if you can't this, you know, the same thing they tell children, if you can't think of anything nice to say to yourself, just don't say anything at all. You know, just be like, I hear what you're saying, Amanda, like you're feeling stupid. Cool. Period. You feel stupid. Acknowledge the feeling and move on. You don't have to, you don't have to make it mean absolutely anything. 
you know, even if you can't flip it and be like, you're learning something new, you're growing something. It's all cool. Just catch yourself saying something negative. Cool. Hear it. Swipe it. Move it on. So that's it. I'm going to end it with that. Hope you have a good day. And uh, yeah, I'll see you next week. 